0: It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen M N. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at M I N. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everybody. We got a great one for you here today on this Thursday morning, as we look to preview UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Shabazian, which will take place on August 1st at the UFC Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, great to be back with you guys here. Uh, changing it up a little bit, throwing uh, throwing a little off-speed pitch here. Doing a show early in the morning, and uh, and by early in the morning I mean uh, 11. 12 in the morning, uh, which is unfathomably early for, for me at night owl. So still trying to wake up here. Got a cup of a cup of mud with me. So uh, I think this will be a a new thing. I think we'll try to, we'll try to push all the shows up towards the the morning so that they can kind of breathe as the day goes on, as opposed to doing them late at night. Uh, and I guess there's benefits to doing them both ways, but I think we're going to try to do them, uh, earlier in the morning. Um, it's kind of like changing weight classes. To be honest, I feel like this is really the first show that I've ever done. You know, all those sh- all those shows up at you know 11 p.m. at night. I mean, they don't they don't really matter. You kind of get a fresh coat of paint when you uh, switch weights, and you know I think this is our natural weight. I think we were growing into this. It's kind of you know it's kind of like Chase Hooper fighting at at featherweight. You know, he's six foot one, so he can make featherweight when he's 19, but You know, he's not going to be a featherweight when he's 30. You know, he's going to pack on some muscle, you know, and move up to lightweight and then, you know, probably end his career at welterweight. So, you know, this is really a transformation for us. During our time at WRFW, I mean, we had shows from 2 p.m. to, man, maybe even like 11 p.m., 10 p.m. for sure. So we kind of hopped around. We're kind of a utility uh, infielder. You know what I mean? We're kind of like uh, Nick Punto. You know, we just kind of go wherever we're allowed. So uh, now that we're at Northstar Sports Media, I mean, really, we could do a show. I mean, I could do a show on a, a different time, any day I want. But I think we'll go with the consistency here because we want to be champion. If we bounce around weight classes too much, I mean, we're not really gonna. You know, that just messes up the ranking system. That's not. I'm not gonna become champ by taking a different fight in in different divisions. So. We're gonna be we're gonna be the champs of the uh, 11 a.m. time slots. I don't I mean, I don't really know what else other uh, Twin Cities markets are are doing at 11 a.m. I I haven't the foggiest idea what shows go on at 11 a.m. Uh, in this market. But you know we're this is the internet, so you know what I mean. Like yeah, it's a Minnesota sports show, and and UFC. But you know what I mean. If you're tuning in from Hong Kong, uh, you know more power to you. I don't know how the fuck you found me, but you know, life is magical that way. I mean, we got we got visitors on our website from, from the Philippines, from China, from Canada. I mean, I'd like to grow my Australian market. I'd like to grow my Brazilian market. I have a Brazilian flag and an Australian flag uh, in my room, and a Canadian flag as well. So, you know what I mean? If, that, if that's good for anything, you know what I mean? You got to check out the website. Um... But enough stalling here, we'll get right into this one. Should be a pretty easy one. We got 11 fights on this card, so um, a pretty manageable card. A, a good rebound from the 15-fight the uh, card that we had last Saturday, which I don't want to say kind of petered on, but it was a little too long. The UFC's very good at pacing, uh, especially when fights go to decisions because you, know, you, get, you get a couple of first-round KOs strung together. You know, and, and you're going to see, like, 40 minutes of filler in between because, you know, they have to allot the 30 minutes. They have to allot 30 minutes because they have to, you know, assume that it's a possibility that every fight could go to a decision. Um, and it was on ESPN. Now, when the fights are on ESPN+, Plus, I say, fuck it, just move on. You know what I mean? Because ESPN makes sense because it's, it's cable TV, so there are time slots. But ESPN Plus is just the fucking internet. E- time slots are imaginary on the internet. It doesn't matter. So you could just you could move forward as much as you want. Um, but I guess that's a talker for another thing. At least they don't do it like Bellator, where they have a hour intermission show in between each fight. That's just fucking ridiculous. Um, but as always, we'll start from the bottom of the prelims. We'll work our way up to the main event eventually. Uh, so this leads us here to a bantamweight fight here between Chris Gutierrez and Cody Durden. Gutierrez comes into this fight 15-3-1, Durden 11-2. and two. Uh, all these odds come by Odd Shark. Uh, Gutierrez is the minus three fifty favorite, um, and I can't really disagree. I was very impressed by his last performance. It was a uh, leg kick KO on Vince Morales uh, in May of this year. Uh, really improving in the UFC, he lost his UFC debut, I guess we'll call it. Even though it was the Ultimate Fighter, they technically count the the last fight of Ult- of the Ultimate Fighter as a uh, not an exhibition, but an actual pro MMA fight. So he lost that to Howie uh, Barcelos, um, but three three wins in a row after that. So he's three and one. Uh, that that loss was in November of 2018. So he's he's kind of moved on uh, slowly, heading into his prime. He's still only 29, um, so still pretty young, and that's that's good because fighting here at bantamweight. Um, you know, I suppose the the prime for MMA fighters is like 32 to 34, but you can kind of shift that up a couple of years as you get down to bantamweight, and you can shift it forward like three or four years when you get to flyweight, because older fighters do not uh, age gracefully. Uh, you know, so everything's shifted up, so he he really could be somebody who kind of creeps his way into the rankings. Again, like I always say, very hard to creep into the rankings at 135, but... Again, this is a guy, you know, the, the reason why that leg kick KO was impressive for me, other than the fact that I think it was the seventh leg kick KO in UFC history, uh, which has been around for over 20 years and, you know, thousands of fights, is leg kicks are, are so in fashion. They're so vogue. They're so chic, you know. And, and I mean, it, it sounds weird to say, but, you know, the low calf kick it, it has become such a such a thing these last like 6 to 12 months and it's weird cuz it's always existed but i mean it doesn't you can't really can't really condition your legs you know what i mean like i, I mean i guess you can like the how the ties do when they kick banana plants uh but like you can't can't really condition your lower calf i mean maybe you could, you could try but it just seems you see so many fighters if there's a fighter in the UFC who knows how to to kick the legs, there's, like, you only can take four, like, I think DC said it, you only really can take, like, four low calf kicks, and then you're just fucked, and that was was what uh, happened to Vince Morales, so that's, that's something in Gutierrez's arsenal that intrigues me greatly, just knowing the effect it has, just knowing I could hit you with four overhand rights, and maybe it takes 30 overhand rights to stop you. You know what I mean? Some people have great chins. Some people don't. You know what I mean? But everybody kind of has the same legs, to be honest. So uh, I have to agree with a minus 350 here. I would certainly have to favor Gutierrez. But uh, kind of sliding over to Cody Durden, making his UFC debut. He's five foot nine, which is, is a pretty good, pretty solid height for, for Bantamweight. I'd say 5'10", gets a little too tall where you're a little too lean. But I think 5'9", honestly, is a, is pretty good. Uh, 7 fight winning streak uh of his 11 and 2 record all coming from regionals I've never heard of. Uh so that uh would concern me a, a little bit. Uh, I don't really know a whole too much a whole a whole lot about the uh, the backstory here of Mr. Durden. Um but yeah, coming from SCL Valor Fight Challenge NFC. You know, never never really heard of uh never really heard of these ones, but maybe they're good ones, but I I know a lot of the regionals. I've never really heard of, of those organizations. So, uh, yeah, we'll go uh, Chris Gutierrez here by... Well, I hate to get so bold, but I suppose I'll go leg kick KO. Or or a leg kick stoppage. Or I guess just TKO with, with the possibility of it being legs. But, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too bold because it's only happened seven other times. But, I mean, Jesus, that's quite the skill to have in, in 2020 MMA. Uh, moving on here... On the prelims, we have a featherweight fight here between Jamal Emers and Timur Valuev. Uh, Emers is 17-5, and Valuev is 16-2, and Valuev is the uh, minus-170 favorite. Um, interesting matchup here. As I was doing my research, uh, as I was barely awake, barely awake, still barely awake, I um, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like things for for both of these fighters here. Uh, Emers, he's thirty one. He's got a five foot ten frame, but more importantly, a seventy four inch reach, which oh, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good for featherweight. Seventy four inches, that is uh, that's pretty impressive. <clears throat> uh, he is coming off of a split decision loss to uh, Giga Chikadze, um, which which I guess I don't really know why. That, I guess I'd have to. I guess I'd have to see Giga's a really talented kickboxer. I guess I kind of have to see what happens with Chikadze over his next couple of fights to kind of gauge what that means for Jamal Emers. Kind of hard to gauge what it means in the moment. Um, but he, he is a guy who had won four fights prior to the, prior to that uh, Giga loss, and that was his UFC debut. Um, he did he did get knocked out by Julian Arosa on uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, I believe the se- the second season. Uh, so, back in 2018, that's a little concerning because Julian Arosa is not that good of a fighter, although he just beat Sean Woodson, so fair enough. Fair play to him, but you look at how Erosa how fared after the ultimate fighter season with uh, McGregor and Faber, and you look at, I think he, he ended his, his first UFC tenure on a four-fight losing streak or something, like, okay, so you lost to a guy who certainly doesn't really belong in the UFC, but you know, fair enough, man, that was two years ago, that's, and, and he's a young guy, but again, it's tough for me to gauge where Jamal Emmers is, certainly a UFC fighter, um, at least for now, but t- tough to tell, certainly has the experience on, on Uh and moving over to Timur, uh he's coming up from bantamweight, so he is a bantamweight fighter, uh, he's only 30, on a six-fight winning streak, and he in that six-fight winning streak, he has a win over Chris Gutierrez. So he beat Chris Gutierrez back in the World Series of Fighting. Um, but in fairness to Chris Gutierrez, Gutierrez beat him the fight before by split decision. Uh, so I assume that probably was a title fight or something. I don't I don't know. But, yeah, he, he lost to Gutierrez the first time by split decision, came back and beat him by unanimous decision. Both of these fights taking place in 2016. Um... And I don't know, you know, every, every, one, every once in a while you get these fighters from um, from the World Series of Fighting, I guess now the PFL, but I, f- I feel like the World Series of Fighting produced better fighters, you know, whether or not it was people who solely came up before they got their UFC shot from the World Series of Fighting, so like a Marlon Marais, um, or whether or not it was a UFC fighter who went down to the World Series of Fighting and then came back like an Arlovsky or... Uh, Rumble Johnson, you don't really see that with the PFL, I mean, in fairness, the PFL has only existed since 2018, Um, but I don't know, I I don't know, I feel like the PFL is significantly worse, I mean, there there is no Justin Gaethje in the PFL, let me fucking tell you that, straight up, there is no, absolutely no, Um, but again, there's, I mean, like I said a couple of shows ago, there are maybe three fighters I would pillage from the PFL uh, into the UFC if I you know, could wave a, a magic MMA wand, but I don't know, trying to make sense of his topology page, so he leaves the PFL to go fight in GFC 14 Dagestan, I don't know what GFC is, I assume it's an Eastern European organization, but it's really weird that he he never lost in the World Series of Fighting other than to Gutierrez, and he never lost in the PFL, but he just willingly left to go to ostensibly a, a lower organization. Um, that's, that's a little bit weird. Um, I, I still am going to go Valoev uh, in this one, uh, and I guess we'll go by decision, uh, even though both of these fighters do have finishing abilities when you look at their records. Um, just a lot of question marks in this one, so I think we'll get some clarity after this fight, hopefully. You know, hopefully there's no bullshit like uh, like a, a draw or uh, a no contest or something like this. But I think we'll get more clarity um, either way. Either way, I do have questions for both of these fighters. Um, I guess, dare I say, Emers does have on paper the advantages. I mean, he has more fights. Uh, he has more UFC fights, albeit this is his second. But, you know, that, that UFC debut is a real real thing for certain fighters. You know what I mean? We've seen many great fighters lose their UFC debuts just to go on to you know do relevant things in the company. Uh, but we will go Timur Valuev by decision. Uh, moving on here in the middleweight division, we have a fight between Marcus Perez and Eric Spicely. Perez is the minus two hundred favorite. He comes in with a record of twelve and three. Spicely, twelve and five. And this one makes a little more sense to me. This one makes a little more sense to me. So Perez is 30. He's lost three of his last five. Uh, Spicely is 33. He is four and six in the UFC. So that's a lot of losses, but he is he is winning enough to still kind of be in that bubble. Um, I'm I'm not gonna say the loser of this fight gets cut. All I will say is that if whoever loses this fight, you are. In real danger of being cut. I'm not saying it'll happen, cause I mean, Jesus, the UFC. I mean, they'll milk you for all your all you're good for. You know, they'll they'll build a young prospect off of you or something. You know, they'll they'll find a use for anybody. But man, you know, you start piling these losses together. We've seen fighters get cut for much less. You know what I mean? We saw Elias Theodoru get fucking cut for losing one fight. You know what I mean? Like. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that the UFC doesn't like either of these two fighters like they clearly didn't like Theodoru, but you just can't lose in this business. You just—you really can't. Um, I guess—I guess I'm going to go with Marcus Perez on this one. Um, he does have a couple of first-round knockouts in the UFC, albeit they're over pretty low-level guys, James Bochnovich and Anthony Hernandez. Um— Kind of concerning because when I look, well, let me start with the positive. So he has a win over Ian Heinish on his record. Now, Ian Heinish, we could pull up the North Star Sports rankings, which you could find at northstarsports.media. And we look at the middleweight rankings, and you'll find that Ian Heinish is ranked number 12. So back in 2017, he does have a win over Ian Hynish. That's a very good one. But he has losses since then over Eric, well, under Eric Anders, Andrew Sanchez, and Wellington Terman. Those are not particularly high-level fighters, especially the last two. I I happen to think very highly of Eric Anders, but the last two, not so much. So he really needs a win. Now, he's not going to get a win over a quality opponent on Saturday because Spicely's kind of in the same boat as Perez, but a win would do a lot to kind of cool down... You know, that that hype of him getting cut. Now, spicy, in fairness, he has some nice losses, I guess. You know, he does have four wins in the UFC, albeit not really not really over good fighters, except for a win over Tiago Santos. But that was pretty early in Tiago Santos's uh you know, shall we call it a run? Um but losses to Andrew Sanchez, Sam Alvey Shoeface, GM3, Darren Stewart, Duran Wynn. I mean, so any, anytime he, he fights a uh, slightly below average to decent fighter, this guy loses. So again, the stakes are much clearer, clearer uh, in my mind for this one. Uh, we'll go Marcus Perez, I'll say by round two TKO, but I'm just kind of spitballing here. Um, so we'll, we'll say he wins and kind of gets back on track because you look at his record, it's pretty good and. You know you also look at his age I mean there's certainly something you could build there and you know Spicy, this is a guy who uh, has had three fights canceled uh, prior to this one. so after his loss to Duran Wynn uh, about canceled with Brendan Allen, which he would have been fucking murdered in I can tell you that much Brendan Allen might be a future champ. I am so fucking high on Brendan Allen. I'm all in on Brendan Allen um, but he would have been <laughs> he would have he would have been in the in the hurt business for real. Uh, and then a canceled bout with uh, Punoleli, Soriano, and then Roman Kapilov. Uh, he would have got his nuts kicked in by Kapilov, because uh, I believe that's the guy who had, like, four nut shots on... Uh, let me pull up his old page. Who did he, who did he just fight? Uh, oh, never mind. Sorry, Kapilov. I was confusing you with another Russian. Never mind. Uh, there was um, I guess I'm thinking of whatever Russian was a couple of cards ago that liked to kick his opponent in the nuts. Uh, not Roman Kapilov. My apologies, sir. Uh, but yes, yeah, sp- I mean, Spicy loses this one. It, it could be over. Uh, moving on here. Also on the prelims, we have a bantamweight fight here between Ray, the Taz Mexican Devil Borg, and Nathan Maness. Maness is eleven and one. Borg is thirteen and five. Borg is the prohibitive minus two forty favorite. Um, clearly, clearly in my mind, not that Maness uh, is not a legitimate prospect, but this clearly is a rebound fight for Ray Borg. This is clearly the UFC saying, "Ray, we're going to give you a guy who's a can compared to you. Maybe not a can in general, maybe only a can right now in this specific point in his career versus this specific experienced guy. But this is clearly a, "Hey Ray, let's let's get back on track, buddy." type of type of matchmaking here. So, Ray Borg is the former flyweight title challenger. He famously lost to Demetrius Johnson uh, by flying armbar, I want to say at UFC 213? UFC 216, okay, UFC 216, that's right, the the, uh, Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson fight. Um, Fallen way off, this guy has fallen way off, and it's not really his fault, and I do feel bad for him, because obviously he has some personal stuff outside of the octagon that's very sad. Um, but since that Demetrius Johnson title loss, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight canceled bouts, eight canceled bouts, essentially in three years, (coughs) excuse me, he had three consecutive, consecutive bouts from over, over a three month span canceled uh, versus Brandon Moreno. Uh, about with Benavidez canceled, about with Pinguan Liu canceled, about with Kyler Phillips canceled. Finally gets a fight versus Casey Kenny, uh, and he loses pretty badly. Uh, it was by decision, but pretty badly uh, to Casey Kenny. Now, Kenny's a pretty good fighter, little did we know at the time. Uh, comes back in uh, July of 2019, gets a win over Gabriel Silva. Fair enough, he was an undefeated prospect comes back, gets a win over Hagerio Bontorin, has a fight canceled with Marlon Vera, which would have been honestly very interesting to, to see how that would go, um, and then loses a split decision to Ricky Simone. And This was uh, just a couple of months ago, and he just had a, I guess, I guess I, I forgot about that. Yeah, he did have a fight scheduled uh, for, wow, that is quite the quick turnaround. So, a month after he lost to Ricky Simone, he had a, a fight scheduled with Marab Devalishvili, which, Jesus, I mean, nobody nobody willingly takes on Marab. Marab is an animal. Marab, my, I predict that Marab will be in the top five within 18 months. Marab is a very special fighter. Um, but then that got canceled, which I guess I forgot. I was really hyped for that fight, to be honest. Um, and now, now coming up against Nathan Maness. So, you know what I mean? From a guy who could have been the the UFC champion to, I mean, he's not ranked. I certainly don't have him ranked. I don't know anybody who, maybe the UFC does, in fairness. I don't pay attention to UFC rankings. Ah, that is good coffee. Um, But, yeah, he needs to get back on track. He needs to win. And I know he just had the two wins with Bontarine and Silva, but there are very high expectations for a guy like this. Only twenty six. Now, the tough thing for Ray Borg is, number one, injuries. So, presumably, it's not always the case, but presumably, if you're young and you keep having all these injuries, typically injuries don't get better as time goes on. Typically, you don't, you don't become less injury-prone as time goes on. Typically, you become more injury-prone. Injuries tend to stack on each other. Injuries tend to take away from you. You know what I mean? It's not like... Oh Ray, you had all these injuries, but now you're good because you're. All, it's not like shots. It's not like you're caught up on your fucking, on your Hep vaccinations. You know what I mean? So for Ray Borg, I mean that's. if You're twenty six, and again, it's it's the fucking hurt business. I mean, we're fighting, so of course there's there's gonna be injuries and and all this, but uh, you know that's that's not good. And I think Ray is really something special. Certainly, when you look at his at his record, at flyweight, but. Man, he just can't make weight. He just can't make weight and he should make weight cuz he's 5 foot 4. So 5 foot 4 No, well, it's not really that's average height for flyweight. That's not really short or nothing. But listen, there are 5 foot 7 guys who who make flyweight. But and again, I get all bodies are different, you know what I mean? But Ray Borg is a guy who sh- logically should make flyweight. But okay, fair enough. Maybe it depletes you, maybe it's just not meant for you. So your true weight is bantamweight. That's fine. That's fine. But bantamweight is fucking tough. When you look at Northstars rankings 1 through 15, absolute killers. If we did rankings 15 to 25, still absolute killers. You know what I mean? How many guys are not ranked at, at bantamweight who are still like. I mean, Marab Devalishvili's not ranked at bantamweight. Um, I mean, I guess I, I'd include Ray Borg in, in that as well, but. You know, there's really tough fight. Chris Gutierrez. Chris Gutierrez. So, you know, this is a tough division for him. If if Ray could make 125, maybe, maybe he doesn't become champion. Maybe he still loses to, like, a Davis and Figueredo. But he certainly would be in the top five. For Ray Borg to be in the top five at bantamweight, quite honestly, I don't really see that happening. Um... That being said, I'm going to go with Ray Borg on this one. Kind of flipping the switch over here to Nathan Maness. He is 29. Uh, he's pretty tall for a featherweight. He's five foot ten, so he's going to have a uh, half a foot uh, height advantage on Ray Borg. Three finishes in his last five fights. Uh, but again, in my mind, this, this fight is tailor-made for Ray Borg to win. But again, the last time that kind of happened with Casey Kenny, I mean, he lost. So, I mean, this is MMA. You never really... this. This is not pride. This is not rigged. There are not people. Well, I guess maybe there are people on roids, but not everybody's on roids, and it's not rigged. It's not scripted. So anything can happen. So that's the good news for Nathan Maness. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, moving on here, on the pre- still on the prelims here, uh, a light heavyweight bout here between Ed Firecracker. Actually, no. Sh- is it Short Fuse? Terrible nickname. Ed Short Fuse. Let me look this up. One of, honestly, kind of one of the worst nicknames. Short Fuse. I mean, he's one, so I guess that's kind of... its not really short for light heavyweight. Not short in general. Short Fuse. I guess because he's angry? Maybe because he's a ginge? I don't really know. Uh, terrible nickname. Uh, I like Firecracker better. I'm going to call him Ed Firecracker Herman. Short Fuse. That's just... I don't know about that one. Uh, he's t- but he's taking on uh, Gerald Mearshart. Uh, who has a great nickname, GM3. Uh, Herman is 24 and 14. Mearshart is 31 and 13. So no shortage of experience here. I mean, both of these fighters, both of these fighters have a lot of fights, a lot of fights. Uh, And to be honest, I would say the experience is relatively the same. I mean, so Mearshart has 44 fights and Herman has 38, but I'd say that's, I'd still give the experience advantage to Ed Herman just because, how many UFC fights does this guy have? This guy has been in the UFC. Holy shit, I'm going back on his topology. He's been in the UFC since the Ultimate Fighter Season 3 back in 2006. So, when it comes to UFC experience, I mean, not many, Not mi- honestly, low-key, not many fighters have more fights in the UFC than Ed Herman. That This guy has a lot of fights. He's been in the UFC for 14 years. 14 years. I mean, most fighters don't have a 14-year career. I mean, now, he loses most of his fights in the UFC. But, you know what I mean? That's that's still very impressive. Uh, The thing that kind of scares me with Ed Herman, he's 39. Uh, He's admitted he's probably close to retirement, which, I mean, duh, he's 39. But if you're thinking about retirement, that kind of scares me. Um, typically means you're gonna lose. That's kind of like uh, a bad omen. Um, he was on a two-fight winning streak, though. I will say that uh, win over uh, Patrick Cummins back in 2019 uh, that retired him, and a win over Kadis K- K- Abregimov. Man, I need to, I need to take a class in like Russian or something. I just these Russian names just absolutely murder me. Um, but yeah, and and. You know, obviously this goes without saying, but being in the UFC for 14 years, faced some really good talent over the years. Uh, doesn't really have a lot of wins over good talent, <clears throat> but uh, but has a lot of uh, fights versus uh, talented guys. Uh, Damian Maya, Alan Belcher, Jake Shields, uh, Jacare Souza, Talis Leites, uh, Derek Brunson, Nikita Krylov. I mean, you know, he's, he's fought some pretty good... I guess it guess kind of tapered off at the end there, but... Uh, you know, he has, he has faced some, some pretty good fighters, uh, in his time. Um, conversely here, you, you look at, uh, GM three, uh, in my mind, kind of a Paul Craig situation. This is a guy who's 32 years old, no shortage of experience. I mean, you're really, you're not going to find a 32 year old with more MMA experience than Gerald Mearshardt. I mean, that's, that's pretty far-fetched. Um, so he has the experience. He has the talent, to be honest. He is a very talented fighter. Uh, and that's why it's kind of frustrating to watch him fight because, He's really struggled to climb the ladder. So even in wins, he kind of struggles. But hes it's like the Paul Craig thing. Like, Paul Craig is so fucking good on the ground. GM3 is so good on the ground. He's so crafty. But I don't know. I guess if, if he could improve his striking, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. But you, you just kind of look at this guy. Like, so he's lost five of his last eight. But, you know, he's got wins in there. And he's got finishes in there. All, all four of those wins... I guess five of, his, five of his last nine he's lost. But finishes of Spicely, Oscar Pihota, Trevin Giles, Duran Wynn, are those ranked fighters? Certainly not. But, you know, he does have UFC wins. But part of it is UFC matchmaking because he's been matched up with some pretty tough fighters. Uh, Tiago Santos, Jack Hermanson, Kevin Holland, Eric Anders, Ian Heinish. You know, he just, just got knocked out by Ian Heinish in uh, June. So he. Part of it is a product of tough matchmaking, but listen, you're in the UFC. Like, don't expect any favors to get done for you. This, you know, this is not Bellator. Okay, <clears throat> this is not Bellator. We don't, we don't feed our fighters to fucking cans for 15 fights in a row. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no Michael Venom pages in the UFC. You know what I mean? It just doesn't happen. There's no Juan Archuleta's in the UFC. No, no, no. You even if you're at the lowest levels of the UFC, you're still fighting someone whose talent is commensurate uh, to, to yours. So for, for GM3, I, I don't know. I guess you just kind of got to turn, turn it around on the job. But in fairness, two of those losses, tot- so to Kevin Holland and Eric Anders, they were both split decision losses. Okay, well, we know how bullshit the judges are. I mean, could have gotten either way. Fair enough. But like a Duran win... Nobody, nobody at middleweight should struggle beating Duran win. Duran win should be a, a featherweight. Like the fact that Duran win is a middleweight at 5 foot six is a recipe for disaster, which of course is why he's lost his last two fights, because you can't really win fights at middleweight at 5 foot six. I don't. A short fighter at, at middleweight is like 510. 5'10 five ten for middleweight is pretty darn short. I'd say the average middleweight's probably six foot one, so even on the shortest spectrum of middleweights, you're you still have a four inch height advantage, and then presumably a pretty sizable reach advantage on Duran Win, because, because Duran Win, even for five foot six, really doesn't have long arms. So Duran Win, at a minimum, I guess I'm kind of joking a little bit, saying he should be a featherweight, but at a minimum, Duran Win should be a lightweight. <coughs> I think the move for him is welterweight. That's just somebody. Dron Win's talented. He's a very good wrestler. Of course, he's the training partner with uh, DC. But like, dude, you have to you have to care about your diet at least a little bit. If you're if you're fighting at middleweight and you're five foot six, that tells me you don't even remotely care. You're not even remotely in, interested in diet. You know what I mean? And for anybody who says it's tough to lose weight, like for anybody who says like. Oh, it was impossible for Jose Aldo. If Jose Aldo switches weight classes, it'll be to move up to lightweight, not to go down to bantamweight. Listen, anything's possible. I mean, you know what I mean? To run, win, fighting at lightweight's possible. Like, it's all diet. Does it suck to diet? Yeah, probably. It's not the end of the world. It's just a mathematical equation. Losing weight or gaining weight is a mathematical equation. Everything is accounted for. You can't you can't cheat the system. You can't lie to the system. It's all math. So you could mathematically put Duran Wynn on a plan over six months to get down to, to lightweight. You, you know, you go, you train this much per day. This is how many calories you burn. This is how many cal- calories we want you to take. This, this is how many calories you need to take in with the workouts to get down to, to 155. Or even, whatever, that's a fucking pipe dream. But to get down to 170, like... No, dude, it's it's called mixing in a couple of salads, and you know, fucking manning up, <clears throat> manning up, and taking your diet serious, and and you know, actually putting your god given talent to uh, to to reality, you know, which is never going to have happen at, at middleweight. But I guess kind of bringing this back, not to be a rant on Duran Win, but bringing this back to GM three. it's kind of tough when you struggle with guys like Duran Win. You know what I mean? I mean, he did choke him out in the third round. <clears throat> but it was pretty competitive through rounds 1 and 2. Um I am going to go with GM3 in this one. I do think he'll win and I'll even go by submission just because I think Hermans kind of pretty up there in age, pretty up there in age. So, I uh, will go GM3 by submission. <coughs> uh moving on here to the uh main well, I guess main event of the prelims. I forget what the fuck the technical term is for it. Uh, we have a Bantam White fight here, Frankie signs taking on Jonathan Martinez. Martinez is the minus 250 favorite, comes in with a record of 11 and three, Frankie signs 12 and six. Uh, Frankie signs is 39 years old, so right off the bat, I am picking him to lose this fight. Uh, 39 years old is essentially 59 years old when it comes to the Bantam White division. He's lost four of his last six going back to 2015. Does have a win over Marab Dvalashvili in December of 2017 that is highly controversial. Uh, conversely, you look at Jonathan Martinez. He's 26 years old, five foot eight, pretty pretty solid height, uh, 69, 69 and a half inch reach, which is uh, pretty nice. Um, coming off of a split decision loss to Andre Ewell on the uh, UFC 247 card. That's, of course, the bullshit card which took place in Houston in February of this year. Uh, Andre Ewell, I believe he lost every single round of that fight, but somehow won the uh, unanimous decision. Pretty sure Andre Ewell broke his arm in that fight. Um, so that's, that's bullshit. Jonathan Martinez should be 12-2. and two. He should be on a three-fight winning streak. Um, and he really needs to step up in competition that I think this fight represents. Uh, albeit, Frankie Sines is very, very old for the, the division. Uh, this is a step up in competition because you look at Martinez. Uh, he lost his UFC debut to Andre Sukumtat, which that's embarrassing. Uh, but a win over Wuliji Burin and Pingyan Liu. I mean, those are two fighters that don't belong in the UFC. So, you know, he beat up two absolute tomato cans Uh, And then got a step up with Andre Ewell, and again, he won that fight. So, you know, I kind of like the progression here for Jonathan Martinez, even though it hasn't necessarily gone his way, uh, you know, at at each individual step. But I think he'll win this one pretty convincingly. Um, I'll go by decision. I'll go by unanimous decision. Uh, We'll go Jonathan Martinez, the minus 250 favorite. Uh, moving on here now to the main card, we have a middleweight fight here between Kevin the Trailblazer Holland and Trevin Giles. Holland is 17 and five. Giles is 12 and two. Holland is the minus 210 favorite. Uh, I'm a very big fan of the Trailblazer Kevin Holland. A very a very game bred fighter. Uh, he is very active. Six foot three, so he's he's pretty tall for for middleweight. Um, I would say even right now, as of July 2020, I would say Kevin Holland is a top five striker at middleweight. This is a very, very talented striker. Now, grappling and ground game, not so much. Certainly not top five. Obviously, uh, he is unranked, but he is he is a top five striker in my mind at middleweight. He's very good, very creative. Coming off of a very nice knockout of Anthony Hernandez, only took him 39 seconds. His striking is on another level, so I do like to see a step up in competition here versus Trevin Giles. Um, the the good The good thing for Kevin Holland is you look at his tapology record. Uh, I had to filter out all of his exhibition matches. I mean, this guy has a lot of of grappling event experience over the last couple of years, so uh, that's that's very that's a very good sign that he's working on his grappling. Not that every fighter isn't fucking working on the grappling but you know point being this guy is going out to events and doing stuff like this um so that that's that's a very good sign because that is part of his game that really needs to be rounded off um is the ground game at least enough to let him exclusively stand up because when he stands up people people do get knocked out um Trevin Giles he's he's the same age as Kevin Holland he's 27 I believe he's a Houston police officer uh, he won a terrible decision, a home decision, back at that Houston card, the 247 card, over James Kraus, who is a lightweight. Um, total bullshit decision. Uh, definitely should have gone to James Kraus. I can tell you this much: I'm pretty sure Trevin Giles is a Houston police officer. Uh, if that 247 card took place today and he took on James Kraus, uh, he the, the the judges might score that uh, a 30-25. So, you know, against Trevin Giles. So, I guess he's kind of lucky he got that in, uh, you know, when when the getting was good. Um, I don't really think this will be close, just because I do think Giles lost his last fight. Don't know a whole ton about him, um, but I, I do know uh, a little bit about Kevin Holland, and I'm a very big fan, so uh, I'm going to pick him to knock out Trevin Giles, and, you know, hell, we'll even go in the, in the first round. I mean, I think Kevin Holland is something truly special uh, when it comes to his striking acumen. Uh, moving on here, still on the main card, we have a lightweight fight between Bobby Green and Lando Venata. Venata comes in with a record of 11, 4, and 2. Bobby Green, 25, 10, and 1. Groovy Lando Venata is the minus 150 favorite. Low-key, really tough fight. Really tough fight. You kind of got to throw records out the window here because the records aren't going to knock your fucking socks off here. But Bobby Green is only 33. He just was coming off of a win over Clay Guida uh, last month. I guess it'll be in, in June by the time the fight actually happens. So the big question for for me and for both of these fighters really is can you string together some wins? So, you know, Bobby Green, uh, I know going into that uh, Clay Guida fight, he was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. He was 1, 5, and 1 in his last seven fights that is not good that is really bad that he probably should have been cut from the UFC um I mean he has in fairness he has faced very good competition but Jesus you can't you can't ever go one one five and one that's at any point in your career you can never go one five and one that's a recipe for disaster so can he string together wins kind of remains to be seen I will say Lando Venada is a very tough fighter. This was a guy who fought Tony Ferguson, who I think was 20 and 3 at the time. He fought a 20 and 3 Tony Ferguson at 7 and 0 back in 2016 at age twenty-eight. He's uh he's a very tricky fighter. He likes to show boat, he's pretty cocky, kinda got a weird striking style. Uh, a real groovy individual. Um he kind of fights to his competition, I suppose, if I could be so bold to say so. He kind of fights to his competition, so he fought Tony Ferguson pretty tough, although he did get choked out, but I think that kind of explains why over, why he's kind of flip-flopping wins and losses and draws, uh, you know, over, since 2016 in the UFC. You know, he kind of just rotates through all of those, just because ugh, he's really, he's, he is really talented. He is legitimately really talented, but Man, he just fights to the competition. So uh, Bobby Green is not really a winning fighter in the UFC, but he's certainly tough. So I expect Venata, uh, the chameleon that he is, to, to make this a tough, sloppy, showboating style of fight. Uh, these guys did fight back in October of 2017. Uh, they fought to a split decision draw. So, I suppose this is Green versus Venada 2. Um, so, that's interesting. I might have to go back and rewatch that fight if I could find that somewhere for free. Because uh, there's no fucking way I'd pay money to watch that fight. Um, but I, I, I guess that's interesting. It adds to the storyline here. And, um, you know what I mean? A bit of a redemption arc for, for either of these fighters. Really trying to, like I said, string together some victories. Uh, We will go Lando Venata by decision on this one, just because I I think he is the more talented fighter. I think he's probably the trickier fighter when it comes to striking. Um, And and hopefully, hopefully, this just kind of turns out to be a kickboxing match uh, because I think stylistically that would be a a fun matchup. Moving on here to the featured bout on the main card, it's the number 13 ranked welterweight Vincente the Silent Assassin Luque taking on Randy Rude Boy Brown. Luque is the minus 190 favorite. Comes in with a record of 18, 7, and 1. Randy Brown, 12, and 3. Really, I want to start off here by saying, look at Vincente Luque. The Silent Assassin. Awesome nickname. Not particularly creative. I mean, Assassin is used in a lot of nicknames in MMA, but the Silent Assassin, I'd say that's pretty apt. Luque is not really a talker you know, a pretty humble, respectable guy. Um, good nickname. I would give that, I'd give that an eight out of 10. That's a pretty solid nickname. Randy rude boy Brown. That's a fucking two and a half there, bud. That's not a good nickname. Rude boy. Never. If you're a grown, if you're a grown ass man, don't ever have boy in your nickname. Okay. So the, the Korean superboy or whatever the fuck Duho Choi's name is. I'm sorry. That's a bad nickname. It has "boy" in it. Uh, Wonder Boy Thompson. He's like 39 years old. It should it should be Wonder Man Thompson. It should be Steven Wonder Man Thompson. Cause you're a fucking grown-ass man. You're closer to being a grandpa than you are to being a boy. You know, just just statistically. So, Randy Rude Boy Brown it should be Randy Rude Man Brown. But even then. Your your claim to fame is that you're rude? Okay, there's plenty of fucking rude people out there. Like I assume that most fighters in the UFC, most cage fighters I assume, have some rudeness to them because for a living they punch other people in the head. So, I'm not impressed by Rude Boy Brown. That just doesn't I don't know. You got to really you got to really and it's never really too late to change your nick. I mean, look at Neil Magny. How many fights has this motherfucker had in the UFC with no nickname straight up? Just Neil Magny. And then what's it? he changed? He changes. Well, I guess he got a nickname last fight. I believe it. I believe he's now the Haitian sensation, which, okay. I mean, you know, that's like a six out of 10. That's a, that's a good nickname. So it's never, it's never too late to change your nickname. So Randy Brown, please fucking get on that. Please get on that. I, honestly, you know what nickname would fit Randy Brown? Uh, that is open. Steal, steal Corey Anderson's old nickname. You know, now he's Overtime Anderson. Steel Beast in 25-8. That's a good nickname. Way better than Rude Boy. Um, but I guess I guess the last two minutes have nothing to do with the actual fucking fight. Um, I will say, Luke is a very tough fighter. His highlights are fun as hell to watch. He's 28. He's not going to fight for a long time because he fights like a fucking savage. takes He takes a lot of damage. He is one of those fighters that will take two punches to the head to give three. I mean, his fighter is not conducive to a, his fighting style is not conducive to a long fighting style in the UFC uh, or in general. It's uh, conducive to uh, severe brain damage in your 50s and 60s, but it's also conducive to uh, joy for Owen when he watches the fights. Um, just a tough son of a bitch, tough son of a bitch. I wish I could rank him higher. I'm a huge fan of this guy. Uh, it's kind of funny cause the UFC put out a highlight tape of him, uh, I think on their YouTube page. And after every single fight, he's always calling for a top 10 guy and just never gets one outside of the, uh, obviously the, the wonder, the wonder boy, the wonder man Thompson. Um, Matchmaking doesn't really make a whole lot of sense here. Randy Brown's pretty far from the rankings, uh, so I mean, for Randy Brown, this is gr- this is a great fight because if he wins this, then he's ranked. Um, but Luke is kind of an interesting guy when when you look at his progression because this was a this was a guy who was seven five and one to start his UFC career. Just that's pretty bad, and that's all at the regional level. So just a guy who really didn't figure things out but he got on the ultimate fighter uh the 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 season where it was black zillions and ATT the season that uh that kamaro Usman won and he impressed because he's got a nice style but he was seven five and one he then goes on to 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 be where he is currently right now obviously but in that stretch since that seven five and one start He's won seven of his last eight fights, eleven of his last thirteen, pretty much all in the UFC. Actually, all in the UFC. So his his UFC record is something fucking ridiculous. It's let's see, four wins there, six wins there. He's eleven and two in the UFC. Just fucking ridiculous. Now again, he had to work his way pretty much all the way up because he was seven five and one. So uh, you know he doesn't have necessarily the greatest record of all time but Loki he's got some pretty sneaky sneaky tough wins on there. Uh Hater Hassan, that's that's kind of tough. Uh Bilal Muhammad he's ranked. Uh we have him ranked. That's tough. That was back in 2016. He had the setback, the loss to Leon Edwards. Okay, no no harm in that cuz look at where he is now. Two wins since then over Nico Price, a win over Chad Laprieze, a win over Brian Barberina and a win over Mike Perry. Or again I always say this, but are are these top 10 wins? No, but they're UFC wins. So this is a guy who consistently strings together UFC wins. Consistently strings together finishes, I believe, in his 11 UFC wins. 10 of those are by knockout. Pretty much all in the first or second round. A couple in the third round. So this guy finishes fights. He does not go to decisions. He finishes fights. He'll... He's a fucking dangerous, dangerous, dangerous fighter. Wonderboy is a tough matchup for anybody. So I'd be very curious. Like I guess I could pull up the rankings here. Um, goes without saying I'm picking Luke in this one, by the way. But I'm very interested to see him fight another top, another top guy. Because he does have something special. There's not a lot of fighters who are willing to take the damage that Luke is to win a fight. So really... He wins this fight, presumably he goes up in the rankings, but we know that they don't really like to you know, match him up against top guys in the rankings. So I'm looking at number 14. That's interesting to me. Number 14 in the welterweight rankings is Bilal Muhammad. And again, Muhammad lost in 2016 to Vincente Luque. So that would be interesting. You'd get a rematch there. Um, Neil Magny and uh, Jeff Neal are scheduled to fight. Uh, You know, I guess I'm kind of looking... He's not going to fight Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz would not fight somebody like Luque because he's a a 500 fighter. Um, Maybe somebody like a number 9, like a Rafael Dos Anjos. That would be very interesting. I think that'd be very fitting. A guy like Luque, who's done so much, won so many fights in the UFC. Dos Anjos is number 9. That would be interesting. I think Chiesa's probably looking upward. I think Maya's probably looking to not fight Luque. Uh, Just because he's only got it, I think he's got one more fight before he retires. Uh, He just lost to Wonder Boy, so that's not really a possibility. Um, To be honest, the rankings are a little tough for Luke if you're talking about trying to move up in the rankings. But, you know, short notice stuff happens, things are are a possibility. But uh, certainly I'll go with uh, Luke. We'll go by second round TKO because I think he'll grind on him uh, the first round and then finish him in the second. Uh, I mean, in, in fairness, Randy Brown. I mean, he's got some finishes in the UFC, but I don't think he's anything too particularly special. Has lost to guys like Balal Muhammad and Nico Price. Those are his last two losses. He is on a two-fight winning streak, but his last two losses have come to two guys that Luke has beaten. Uh, And and, and in the case of Nico, Price beaten him twice. Um, Now, again, MMA math rarely ever works out, but just going off of what is available to us right now, uh, it certainly looks good for a guy like Vincente Luque. Moving on here to the co-main event of the evening, it's the uh, really honestly, it's even though it's the number six fighter versus a number four fighter in Northstar's rankings, uh, this is kind of a, a title eliminator here uh, in the women's strawweight, excuse me, women's flyweight division. Number six Joanne Calderwood takes on number four Jennifer Maya. Uh, JoJo is the minus-150 favorite. She comes in with a record of 14-4. and four. Jennifer Maia, 17-6-1. and one. Uh, I guess starting off here, the reason why I say this is probably a title eliminator is because Joanne Calderwood had the title fight with Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, I believe it was scheduled for June. Uh, but then Shevchenko, I think, pulled out with an injury, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she needed she needed more time which is fair enough because she's a very active champion um, so kind of a dangerous fight here for Joanne Calderwood I could see why she takes this fight so she did have the title shot scheduled but I could see why she takes the fight versus Maya because when you look at who else is in the top five in that flyweight division they're they're staying active so you could easily get forgotten so you know for anybody who says that Calderwood should sit out um, you know, because she had already had the title shot lined up. No, no, no That's not how it works. That, that's, that's how it was. But once something changes, it, it, it's not going to go back to that. You know what I mean? So if Calderwood sits on the bench and Maya, say Maya fights Chukagian because Chukagian wants to stay active, and say Maya brutally knocks out Kaitlyn Chukagian in the first round, okay, do you think they're going to go with Calderwood because, oh, we had that scheduled before? Or do you think they're going to go with the fighter who has the hot hand? There's a, there's a, whether or not you like it or not, there's a major recency bias in the UFC. So it's not necessarily fair that Calderwood has to take this fight, but listen, that's what you got to do. I'll tell you this, Calderwood was ranked a couple of months ago, number three in the flyweight rankings. She's now number six. And she has not fought in the last three months. So what does that tell you? That tells you that other fighters are staying active and surpassing Calderwood in the rankings. So Calderwood needs a win here. Now for Maya, logic would go if she wins. She's never gotten a title shot in the UFC. So if she wins, is a title shot possible? It certainly is. I don't know anybody who's clamoring for a Jennifer Maya title shot. Uh, She is only 31, has a lot of experience, 17, 6, and 1. That's a lot of experience. Uh, she did lose her last fight to Caitlin Chukagian at UFC 244. 2-2 two and two in the UFC, so that's kind of going against her. Um, she did come into the UFC at a pretty high level because she's number four uh, with a 2-2 two and two record. Um, so lost her debut versus Liz Carmouche, Gets back on track with a win over Davis and Mataferi. And then the loss to Chukagian. She was scheduled to fight Viviane Arujao, which I think would have been a good fight, but that was canceled twice. Um so now fighting Calderwood. See, this is kind of the problem with with the women's flyweight division here being so new. Is I don't I mean, I'm changing the flyweight rankings pretty much every week. Just because that nobody's really established in this division outside of Shevchenko as the champ. You know what I mean? So it's 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 too new of a division. Things are always changing. So it, it's it's kind of like trying to build a base in in quicksand. It's it's really hard to try to get traction in this division unless you're staying active and 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 getting wins, even even more so than any other division. I suppose that's probably sound advice for any division, but you know, particular particularly with such a new uh, weight class. Now Calderwood is coming off of a split decision win over Andrea KGB Lee. Uh, she is. Th- three and three in her last six UFC fights, that's not necessarily amazing. Um, again, you can make the excuse tough tough opponents, but listen, if I'm trying to make the argument for you, the argument for Calderwood to get a title shot and the reason why she got a title shot versus Shevchenko is not because she's beaten all of these fighters and wow, she really earns it. It's just kind of because she's next. There are people who challenge for the title who have earned it. Somebody like Apollo Costa, somebody, you know, somebody like a Dominic Reyes. Look at what he did to get to that point. And then there's there's in the weaker divisions, like you know, flyweight, both flyweight divisions. You know, there's just kind of fighters who are next in line. We need somebody in the next title fight. I guess logically you're next, but it's not because you earned it. Nobody, nobody has earned outside of um, Jessica. I, I don't really think anybody's earned a title shot at Shevchenko uh, in this flyweight division. Nobody's really done the work. In you know, in fairness, for as much as people want to shit on, on Jessica I, she did put in the work. I think she had like four flyweight wins. So, you know what I mean? She did kind of legitimately earn it. But everybody else, I mean, I don't know. If they, everybody else got the title shot because they had like two wins in a row. So I guess they're next in line. Um taking a sneak peek here at the women's flyweight division. Uh, we have Chukagian at one, Calvillo at two, Lauren Murphy at three. See, Lauren Murphy, that's someone who, in my mind, even more so than a, a Calderwood or a Maya, that's kind of somebody who earned it. You know what I mean? I think she's on a three- or four-fight winning streak. Uh, in, in That might not all be in the flyweight division. There might be one of those fights uh, when she was back up at bantamweight. But, you know, that's that's somebody who legitimately probably earned it. I'd say, honestly, either a Calvillo or Murphy should be next in line for a title shot. Those are just the next two top uh ranked fighters who have not had title shots versus Shevchenko. Um but but you never know. Um I see this fight playing out pretty much exclusively striking, to be honest. Calderwood's a kickboxer. I'm pretty sure Maya's mostly a stand up fighter, so. I see this being a kickboxing uh, match. Neither of these fighters have finishing ability, so I see this being a decision. And listen, I I just said it at the at the at the beginning of the show. Women fights tend to go to decisions more often than than you know men's middleweight because they're smaller and have less punching power, so less knockout ability, and. Man, if you're relying on the judges, oh man, you've already lost. You've already lost. I mean, the judges are the judges are so bad, like so I, I don't know. This this might be one of those fights where I'm going to I'm going to say this goes to a split decision. I'm going to say it goes to a split decision just because I know it's going to go to a decision and it, when it goes to a decision, ugh, just weird shit happens. Weird shit happens. Uh, moving on here now to the main event of the evening. It's the Mailman's Lock of the Week. It's time now for the Mailman's Lock of the Week. So the main event here is a middleweight fight between the number seven ranked Derek Brunson and the number nine ranked Edmund Shabazian, uh, Edmund Shabazian, the golden boy, is the minus-235 favorite. Of course, he's the mailman's luck of the week. Uh, Very good fight. Actually, I'm very happy that... uh, Well, I suppose I'm not happy because I guess this means somebody got an injury. But I am happy in the sense that the main event is now Brunson and Shabazian and not Holly Holm and Irene Aldana. Uh, I think we're all... I think most people are Holly Holmed out. I think I think we've seen I think we've seen enough opportunities for Holly Holm. You know what I mean? Like I think she's something like two and five in her last seven fights. Like okay, can we kind of put that to rest? Can we just can we stop having her in main events and co main events in boring ass fights versus Raquel Pennington? Um, so I'm I'm happy that we get some new blood here, some young blood, Edmund Shabazian. Uh I don't think this fight gets out of the first round, <laughs> and, and here's why. The average fight time for Derek Brunson is seven minutes. The average fight time for Edmund Shabazian is five and a half minutes. So, both of these fighters finish fights very early, or they get finished. Well, not Shabazian, but you know Brunson can get finished early. Um, so, these fighters do not have long fight times. Shabazzian has been just steamrolling through the middleweight division. Brunson's kind of been a gatekeeper for the last like five years. Um, Couple of storylines here, one for each fighter. So for Derek Brunson, the storyline here is, will he let another elite fighter beat him? Excuse me. So you look at the history of Derek Brunson. He's a gatekeeper. I don't care what anybody says. I don't mean that as a disrespectful term because, uh, you know, you have to get to a certain level where you could even be a gatekeeper, but tell me he's not a gatekeeper. His losses are to Robert Whitaker, Anderson Silva, uh, Jacare Souza, Israel Adesanya, Joel Romero. So he loses to elite fighters. He loses to good fighters, which fair enough, man. Most people do, but he's at a certain level. So he'll... Pretty much without exception, he will beat guys ranked below him. Pretty much all the time, and he will always lose to guys ranked ahead of him. So he's he really is firmly entrenched, you know, in 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 those spots like seven to eleven in in the division. Now, probably his best win, although he was a little aged at this point, is is a, a, a finish over Lyota Machida. Now he's on a two fight winning streak over Elias Theodorou and Ian Heinish, so he kind of pushed back those two prospects, which again only furthers my point that he's a gatekeeper, because he'll beat the he'll beat the guys below him. Um, but again, the two fights before that, losses to Adesanya and Jacare. So is he going to let Edmund Shabazian win? So so really it comes down to is Edmund Shabazian legit? If he's legit, he will knock out Brunson in the first round just because these fights don't last long. If he's not, he'll lose and and you know, fair play to Brunson cuz he'll move up in the rankings. Now, the storyline for Shabazian is does he keep the does he does he starch another opponent? Now, Shabazian is 11 and 0. He's 5 and 0 in the UFC. He's won 4 of those fights by first round TKO. So he won his fight on the contender series. Uh, first round knockout he had a split decision win over Darren Stewart that's a tough one that was back in 2018 his last three fights first round knockouts over Charles Bird Jack Marshman and Brad Tavares tough opponents with with Tavares clearly being the, the toughest of the three now this is a notable step up in competition does he starch him now I believe Uncle Chael said this and it's it's true like, pretty much everything Uncle Chael says. It's, it's good to starch opponents. It's good to knock them out in the first round. You're, you're really going to climb the rankings when you do that. But you're not really accumulating fight time, which arguably is the most important thing. So, I could make the case that even though he might take a little bit more damage, and it might stop him from taking a really quick turnaround fight, it might be the best case scenario for Edmund Shabazian's development that he wins a fifteen round decision over Brunson. Because when you're knocking out opponents in, in the first 45 seconds, that's awesome. That's a win. That's what you want to do every time you go out there, because you take you you dish out as much damage as possible with with still taking as few, as little damage as possible. But you're not getting that fight time. You're not getting you're not necessarily getting better. You're you're moving up the ladder, but again you're you're not you're not seeing all this all this different stuff. So when when I see a hype train have many first round knockouts in a row with with very little hype or very little fight time, that's a bubble that eventually could get burst. Now I think he will knock out Brunson in in the first round, obviously because he's the mailman's lock of the week, but I don't know if that's the best thing for Shabazian. Now, the stakes are high for Brunson. The stakes are even higher for Shabazian. So, looking at the rankings, if Brunson beats Shabazian, it's 7 versus 9 here. I'm looking at number 6, and I'm looking at number 5. Number 6 is Darren Taylor. and number 5 is Yoel Romero. These are guys who have are stringing together losing streaks. So, I can tell you right now, if Brunson beats Shabazian... He will be ranked number five. So he'll finally get into the top five. And if you're in the top five at middleweight, good things will happen. There are are plenty of good, tough fighters in that middleweight division. I don't know what's next for Brunson. I'm just saying, if you get into that top five, something very, very lucrative will come your way. Now, conversely for Shabazian, he has Kelvin Gastelum sandwiched between him and Derek Brunson. But, if Shabazian beats Brunson and he beats him in convincing fashion, it's tough for me to say that Shabazian shouldn't also be the number 5 ranked middleweight. Why would, I put Sh- why would I put Shabazian below Till or Romero? Again, those are two fighters. I think Romero's on a 3 or 4 fight losing streak. Till has lost 3 of his last 4. So, tell me why a guy like Shabazian, who's undefeated, who just beat the number 7 guy in Derek Brunson shouldn't be ranked number five. And again, if you're, certainly if you're Shabazian and a young, marketable prospect, and you're in the top five, I mean, Jesus Christ, you're probably one win away from a title fight. You know what I mean? You match match up Shabazian versus maybe Jack Hermanson or Jared Kananier, or maybe even Robert Whitaker, if you want to get so bold. And if he beats any of those three fighters, which is a very tall task, but if he beats any of those three, How the fuck is he not in line for the winner of Adesanya and Costa? So, you know, a lot's at stake here for Shabazian. Uh, The the thing, the reason why I'm going to go Shabazian over Brunson, I think he's the better striker. He's got a very well-rounded game, good ground game, uh, trained by Edmund Tarverdian, which is not a good sign, but a very good point that Luke Thomas had. If, If Shabazian becomes champion, is there a greater discrepancy between how we perceive a coach and how many champions he has. I mean, we all think of Edmund Tarverdian as, you know, some fucking idiot, some scam artist, which fair enough, man. But if he if he has two UFC champions being Ronda Rousey and uh, Shabazzian, there's there's a there's many very good coaches who would dream to have a UFC champion. So that would be very interesting. Um I'm gonna go Shabazian because I think he's 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 well, he's obviously younger, but he's quicker. So, you know, in in the losses that stand out for me, uh, for Brunson, he's really slow at the highest level. I'm not saying he's slow in general, um, but at the highest level, like Adasanya made him look like he was in quicksand. And that's kind of how I see this fight going with Shabazian. They're both finishers, they both finish in the first round when things go their way. They're gonna go the way of Shabazian. He is 14 years younger than Brunson, I believe. I believe Shabazian is 22 and Brunson is 36. Brunson looked like he was in quicksand versus Adesanya. Shabazian is fast. He is dangerous. He has knockout power. And I think he clips him a couple of times early before he eventually finishes him maybe around the three or four minute mark uh, into the first round. So we'll go Edmund Shabazian by first round knockout. Uh, so with that, that completes our preview of UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Shabazzian. Uh, again, tomorrow, uh, Friday, we will have uh, two shows. So we'll have the, the uh, main card showdown with Drew Peterson, where I will uh, defend my uh, North Star Sports moneyweight title for the first time. Uh, and we'll also have just an assorted random show in the morning. Don't really know what I'll talk about. Maybe something MLB-related probably a shorter show maybe 30 40 minutes uh, but we'll, we'll find something to talk about maybe we'll talk about the Minnesota Wild because i believe they are making their return to hockey today versus the Colorado av- uh, Avalanche uh, in that exhibition match so you know um, i don't know what we'll talk about but we'll find something fun to talk about uh, again you can follow me on twitter at owen Ely mn you also can follow North Star Sports on twitter at northstar min you got to follow the mailman at owen the mailman Uh, And check out our website at northstarsports.media, a whole ton of cool shit. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.